0: Welcome to the Sleep Junkies podcast. My name is Jeff Mann. I'm the founder and editor of sleepjunkies.com. And on the Sleep Junkies podcast, we cover the whole conversation on sleep. And it's the last show of 2018. So we're wishing you a fantastic holiday season. Have a brilliant, brilliant Christmas and New Year. And For this show we're going to mix things up a bit and we're going to do something a bit different and hopefully this is going to turn into a regular feature and we're going to do a roundup of some of the latest stories that have been coming out in the press about sleep research and about sleep science and the reason for doing a roundup like this is that there's just so much stuff out there, there are so many stories that hit our feeds and our headlines about sleep research and about sleep science that It's really hard to keep up, even for someone like myself who's spending a lot of time looking at news headlines about sleep. And so we thought we'd just take a few of these stories and try and dive a little bit behind the headlines and give a bit more context about the actual news science that's coming out and put a bit more meat on the bones and just discuss a little bit more in depth about some of these news stories. And we've got someone on the end of the line today who we've talked to before, Dr. Neil Stanley. Now, he's been involved in sleep research for three decades. So he's well positioned to give some context to some of these news stories. That's it for the introduction. And I just want to wish you a fantastic holiday season. We've got loads and loads more interesting guests lined up and really looking forward to some of the discussions we'll be having in 2019. Um, If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps raise the profile of sleep and tell us what you think. You can also check us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, we've got a Facebook group called Sleep Junkies Worldwide and also of course on the website sleepjunkies.com. So enough from me, let's get on with the show. Well, this morning, we're with Neil Stanley. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Neil. Can I just ask you, before we get into the nitty-gritty, in your view, have you seen the amount of research and and sleep science increase over the years?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, I've I've been in this game for 37 years now. And uh, you know, when I started, there was one journal that published papers about sleep, which was called Sleep. Uh, And there was sort of pretty much one textbook, which was the principles and practice of sleep medicine. Um, And now there's a there's an absolute deluge of sleep information. I mean, there's tens of sleep journals. But the other thing that perhaps has changed is that uh, papers pertaining to sleep are published pretty much across the board. And this is this is, of course, a problem to try and keep on top of the field, because you know whilst i am subscribing to the sleep journals you can't subscribe to every journal and so important information is coming out in in obscure to me as a sleep expert um, obscure journals uh, and so you really do have to try and keep abreast of of the information and so as i say 37 years ago maybe 100 150 papers a year were published in sleep. now it seems like there's a hundred a week being published um and this is what what's interesting is although there's all this more information uh it's actually making the field more complex rather than clearer um which i, I think is the idea was to try and find out what the uh know why we sleep how we sleep when we sleep etc but all we're doing is making it vastly more difficult to to actually find the answer Uh, and that's one of the great challenges and one of the reasons why the field is so very very interesting but it it doesn't really um we're no i don't think we're any better at understanding we have much more information but we have just about as much understanding unfortunately
0: i actually love the fact that it's so complex i was doing an interview I was writing some interview questions for someone last week and I asked the question how does a sleep expert a sleep professional someone who's been studying sleep 20 years in their life um, take on board that sleep research and sleep science is multidisciplinary? and let's say you've dived into your field and you've been a specialist for 20 years and then you realize as you say there's these findings coming from obscure journals of whatever it is agricultural science (laughs) or something something has come from really left field but it's totally related to what you do as well I find that really fascinating because academia and and research is is very much about specialization isn't it
1: yeah and this is this is I mean I'll I'll tell you a quick story I mean when I was at the University of Surrey uh, I created and ran the world's largest clinical trial sleep laboratory and we had a you know, a world class team uh, within our little uh, school. But one night, I wandered over to the main campus at Surrey. And uh, there was an event that was hosted by the psychology and sociology departments over there. And so I met these people I'd never met before, even though I was in the same university and said, Oh, what do you do? Oh, yeah, we research into sleep. And I said, Well, I do as well, but how come we've never met? <laughs> <You've> never met, <laughs> and, and um, you know that that's the problem. That um, that the, there are specialisations, and you know there's a big argument um, in in the sleep field about sleep medicine as to whether sleep medicine is a, a sort of a speciality within itself, or whether sleep medicine is part of every medical. Uh, uh speciality um and and, you know do we do we go into these little silos that are peril? do we actually miss uh things Uh, and and what's interesting you know it's it's a very general point to make but the sleep literature is becoming really quite prosaic. It's becoming very, very clever, and frankly, I don't understand half the papers that are published. Whereas some of the more interesting work is actually the work being done with patients or particular population groups, where it's, shall we say, more real-world type research. Um, so it's looking at you know pain and sleep or cancer and sleep things like these that 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 may have a, a specific effect on the patient. Whereas the sleep literature. As I say, it's becoming really quite, uh, you know, the basic points have been done. So we now have to be clever. But unfortunately, it's not actually giving. I haven't read a decent paper recently that has actually said we should be doing this to our patients. And this is new. Uh, <laughs> that sort of basic information hasn't come out.
0: I totally relate to that, but anyway let's talk about it Let's jump in four studies that were all released in the last two months, either in November or December two thousand and eighteen so I mean there's so much other stuff out there i mean we could we could probably fill up podcasts every day talking about different d- different sleep research so just pick picked four the first one um is in the field of circadian biology this was quite widely reported in in the media and what caught my eye about this it's about new findings about the biology of the the cells the light sensitive cells in our eyes and how they can disrupt our internal clock and relating that to screen time but what what caught my eye was um some of the headlines and again it's interesting how the media reports these studies and some of the headlines are reporting that this is interesting because it's not just about blue light, because we hear so much about how the blue light from our laptops and our screens are detrimental to sleep but how just exposure to light in general is is bad for us so this is the um report from um the study from cell.com neil
1: yeah <laughs> this is one of these uh, papers that uh you know the press release is quite clear but the paper makes absolutely no sense to me uh, i i'm sure it's brilliant science but i i, I must admit i struggle to follow the, the story but uh, with that said uh, the the findings as reported in in the in the press release are, are are interesting um as you say over the last 15 or 20 years there's been an ever increasing focus on blue light as being a bad thing. Um, certainly, before you know you're going to bed, um, there has been other work that shows that the things that strip out blue light, you know, efflux and and, and night shift, uh, actually make no difference to the uh, to the, the effects, and even that Kindle paper whites can also disturb. So.
0: Can you just explain what they are to any people who have not heard of those uh, bits of software you mentioned?
1: Well, these, these are things that, that, that uh, have been put in by, by the, the, uh, the companies like Apple and that, that, that strip out the blue wavelength of light out from the screen, therefore supposedly reducing the, uh, the effect that any light would have. But unfortunately, by stripping the blue light out, you make the screen very muddy and dark. And all that happens is that people turn the brightness up. And we, we, we as I say we've become quite obsessed with this blue light idea, um, as it being the only bit of light that is, is problematical. But we know that bright light is problematical, and there has even been studies that shows that um, firelight is bright enough and we all know that firelight from a campfire isn't blue at all it's much more orangey yellow uh but that is even bright enough to to disrupt our our circadian rhythm so the cell study that you're you're talking about as i say goes very much into the biology of how this this may happen but you know going back to a very primitive view of life uh you know you know, for the last four hundred thousand years, we have had firelight, and and you know, up until the Industrial Revolution, it was firelight or moonlight, and that is what we've evolved to respond to. So daylight is much much brighter, got brighter, but dusk, um, you know, is 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 more orangey, uh, you know, red sky at night as as the. Uh, as the proverb says, uh, without that blue light. And that is the indicator. So any light, any bright light is more than darkness. uh, And that is the problem. So we haven't yet evolved to live in a world with with artificial light um, that's constantly on. So we really do need to sort of you, you know go back to firelight and candlelight uh, in the evenings if, if we want to you know fully prepare ourselves for sleep and to avoid any influence of of, of you know high high intensity uh, external light
0: i don't know if you can if you're able to break it down a- any more as to what's significant about this new this what- new research
1: I think the only significant thing is that it's about the mechanism we've we've known the effect of of light this is about the mechanism uh however um all all it does is is lead you to you, to the simple sort of one word collo- uh, or one sentence conclusion at the end which is you know avoid light before bed yeah. it doesn't right. it doesn't it doesn't help us and, and and at the end of the day this is the first of many papers I'm sure um, and in ten years' time, uh, we will be looking back at this day, thinking, was it really that simple? Um, <laughs> because, let say, we 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 really don't understand these processes very very well. We we we, uh, you know, there was the recognition that these receptors exist; they 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 respond to blue light specifically. But uh, you know, the, the the mechanism now is important. But this will lead to more. Studies on how other wavelengths of light, um you know, affect this mechanism, and what effects that may have on on you know the human being and how the human being sleeps. But but I say this is the first of I say doubtless many many uh papers in this field.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by this topic of light and sleep. I would guess most people are kind of unaware of all the connections between it, but that's another chat for another day. However. It's a brilliant segue into the next piece. But this one is is about light as well. So this is the um, report from the uh, AASM about light pollution. It's a long-term study they did over 11 years, 50,000 over 60s. And what they did, they did a population study and they made an association between outdoor lights. So this is about outdoor light as opposed to indoor light and they found that in areas where there was more outdoor light, it was associated with uh, higher cases of insomnia, and they measured that by tracking the uptake of uh, sleeping pills. Now, you can probably describe that in a more eloquent way than me, Neil.
1: No, I mean, that, I think <laughs> that's a very good summation of of, of the project. Uh, I, I mean, the interesting bit there is... The use of of, of, of hypnotics uh, as a marker for insomnia, um, and you know this this is a, a slightly inaccurate way of doing it, of course, because you know certainly I mean this wasn't UK research, but certainly in the, in, in the UK that there's a, a huge uh, issue with giving out sleeping tablets, and and so although there are plenty of sleeping tablets prescriptions, it's difficult to say that that would be an accurate measure of those people who are claiming uh, to have insomnia. Um, And, you know, this this is, as I say, you you know, I've said about doing real real world research, and this is an ideal example of that. Um, we, We know, as mentioned before, light does have an effect on sleep. And we know now, I mean, you know, some some authorities are putting in these very bright uh, LED bulbs rather than the sodium bulbs that were there before. And so there's a much harsher light. Um, And there, again, have been studies showing that, you know, environmental light can disturb sleep. But I think this is one of the first that shows a sort of a direct link between the two, although there can be other factors uh, that, that you know, poverty or or unemployment or or whatever. Maybe, in fact, maybe know, poor people can't afford heavy blackout curtains and they live downtown where there's more street light. Um, And also, potentially, areas that have more street light may have more activity. That's why there's street light. Uh, And maybe noise is a factor. But it, it again, shows that we're not – humans are not really designed for this this modern-day world that we live in um and and the, as i say the, in the past we didn't have artificial light uh, and and now we we do and you know again this is a very modern phenomenon the first gas light uh in in london was only in 1812 and it was it was much much later before we started getting street lights or or, or environmental light everywhere um and so again, it is something that affects us. We need to think about using blackout blinds or heavy curtains or eye masks in order to stop this effects of sleep. You know when we go to bed, our bedrooms should be very, very dark um and, and we need to ensure that and i've I've spoken to so many people over the years who've said you, you know the minute they make their bedrooms completely dark, their sleep improves them massively it's probably the easiest thing that we can do
0: we live in um in an apartment block and occasionally you'll walk past the building at night and I'm I'm quite shocked to see uh sometimes some of the rooms and they're lit up kind of like a nightclub or like a mcdonald's you know and it'll be like nine o'clock ten o'clock at night but I think just a lot of people just get so used, you know, they've got the TV, the big screen going, they've got all the lights on in the house. And it's it's quite simple, really, isn't it? As you say, it's just dim the lights, and then at night, complete blackout, if you can.
1: <laughs> yeah, as close as possible. And and this is it. <clears throat> you know, um, last year or the year before, everybody was talking about this, this Danish idea of higgy, which was, you know, comfort, relaxation and and that which you know you know is true uh, the Danes are like but what what the Danes do and the Swedes and the Norwegians do is is they light candles at night yeah and and their their houses are very subduly lit which is a which is a nice warm you, you know comfortable feeling to to yeah. wind down to rather than to say these 6000 kelvin bright light you know led bulbs which are yeah. fine if you're if you're you know doing some close-up work but has something to to use it you know at night time it, it is is just terrible and the, the problem is of course you know most houses you know you have one light and it's either it's either on or off yes you can get a dimmer but they're the same thing whereas mm. actually you need to have you know Daytime light and you have nighttime light and and I say if you can't if you can't change the bulbs at least go out and buy some candles. Uh, it's you know you don't need to watch TV with with the light on um, and probably you don't need to be watching TV either mm. as you say with these big huge you know plasma screens that light your room up like a cinema that that's probably not really healthy but you know i'm with you i mean i often walk back from the station after you know and there's a particular house that just looks—it's bright white light at midnight—and you think yeah. there is no way that person is, is going to go to sleep. But I say the the other thing is this external light. You know, the, these these councils are who are for energy energy saving uh, ideas. They're replacing sodium lamps with with uh, LED lamps, and so you have these streets which are brightly brightly lit with you know very very white light which is really disrupting towards sleep so these in this case really uh you know, somebody should be suing the council to you know install blackout
0: blinds. Well installed. that's interesting because I remember seeing some some news about this uh probably a couple of years ago in America in LA I think it was where they were talking about putting uh white lights LEDs um, but is that happening in the UK as well?
1: Yeah yeah there are there are councils in the UK that have done this um uh, because of because of the you know government carbon uh you know targets and all this sort of thing and, and you know I think there are plenty of ways of reducing electricity use that aren't disruptive to sleep rather than, you know, putting, residen- you know, LED bulbs in residential areas. Uh, you, you know, that, that's just crazy. Um, and it's done, you know, th- th- there's the either the option, either the council switch off your lights, uh, which is happening, or they put these really, really bright lights in. And I'm not sure either of those two are, are, are sensible behaviours. Um, You know, considering how many companies every night leave every light in their office block on, I'd have thought legislation to stop them doing that would be vastly more important than disturbing the sleep of of people living in residential areas.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we can't get rid of the streetlights, then there's certainly things that can be done. Certainly, we don't want whitish LED lights. But I guess for for most people, as you say, as you said originally, it's making sure the, the. I mean, this study was about outdoor light. So we can control our indoor lights.
1: Yeah, I mean, any any light in the bedroom is is bad. Um, you know, pretty much so. And and the problem is, you know, even even light from from a standby light or the light from a, a an extension socket that glows red and that sort of thing. Any any light is bad in the bedroom, and you should be aiming. You know, if you've got internal light, then if it can be covered up with duct tape or something like that, cover it up. And I say, if if you've got external light, then, then either blackout curtains or you know, buy an eye mask, a comfortable eye mask, and, and just go for blackout. Um, you know, you won't regret making your bedroom darker.
0: It definitely makes a difference. I mean, I, I read somewhere, even the light that's coming from your alarm clock, it seems quite ironic, really, but even that light coming from the alarm clock is enough to disrupt your melatonin and disrupt your sleep.
1: Absolutely. And there was a study a few years ago that shows that... Um, Really, quite low-level uh, levels of light in the bedroom are linked with an increased risk of breast cancer in women. Um, so, so you know, there there are sort of long-term as well as short-term benefits for making your bedroom darker.
0: All right. Well, there's two different studies there about light coming from very different angles. It kind of gives a bit of context to what we were talking about before about how hard it is to report these things, and sometimes we see the headlines. Um, but there's a lot more behind the headlines as as we're finding out. So the next one, number three, this one I, I've got a bit of a problem with, and I'm sure you've got something to say about this as well. This was um, a study that was published on the 5th of December. And, he, and the headlines are too much sleep can kill you, scientists say. You know, big study, 116,000 participants, and they found associations between, one of the associations they found that is if you sleep more than the recommended amount, which is six to eight hours, you had a higher risk of, risk of death and risk of cardiovascular, i.e. heart problems. And so if you sleep more than the recommended time, which is six to eight hours, you've got a higher risk of this this factor but the headlines that came out were too much sleep can kill you and to me you know my personal opinion is that as a whole society we don't get enough sleep so i've got a bit of a problem with it you know headlines this because i think it's a bit misleading because there's a lot more in this
1: yeah i mean you're quite right the the headlines about sleep and reporting about sleep are are really becoming sensationalist i mean on the one hand you've got the the short sleep kills you um, train of thought you know we're in the midst of the you know worst epidemic of sleeplessness and we're all going to die because we're not getting enough sleep um and then you've got studies like this and this is you know not the first study that has shown that long sleep is is uh long duration sleep is is uh, linked with negative health uh, outcomes now what is interesting about these studies is that what they do is they just um portion up sleep in you know five to six hours six to seven hours seven hours to eight hours et cetera et cetera and and they just look at you know these hour long bins and and see whether you know there is an increased risk in these things and and there is um, and it's a bell shaped curve essentially you know that if you sleep roughly average, you will have the lower rate of of most most conditions if you sleep more or less than average you will have a higher rate of most medical conditions but what we know about sleep need is that sleep need is to a great degree genetically determined and it's it's more than just 6 to 8 6 to 8 is an average it's not an ideal um and just as you have you know, very short people. You have you know people the size of Warwick Davis, who's you know below four foot, and you have eight foot tall basketball players. Now they are the extremes, um, but they exist. However, they are almost certainly going to have higher rates of various illnesses associated with this extreme. Um, you know, I'm I'm two meters tall, and I I. I can read as many papers as I like, telling me that I'm gonna because I'm tall be at a high rate of this that or the other. The problem is can't do anything about it. I'm six uh, you know I'm two meters tall, that's it. Um, and the same with sleep. so these these you know this this takes into no account as to what the normal amount of sleep for these people are and whether they are sleeping more than they need or less than they need. They're just looking at the number of reported hours asleep. So there may be a reason why some people, whether it be genetics, or whether it be lifestyle, who can sleep more than nine hours a night. I think these blanket headlines don't do anybody a good favor. They should be trying to explain that it's not about you know, you being a long sleeper or short sleeper, is you sleeping more than you need or less than you need? Um, and you need to find out how much sleep that you as an individual need, which is essentially the amount that allows you to feel awake, alert, and, um, you know, high functioning during the day. So,
0: yeah, I think to be fair, this was described as um, an observational study, right? And they didn't claim that there was any like causation in this but there's huge flaws with headlines like this because the the obvious thing is that you know the people who are sleeping longer maybe they're ill anyway they're more inclined to, to sleep longer because they're their their health isn't that well in the first place
1: yeah i mean you know there is there is a there is a cynical side to me if you think about it you know you've got we mentioned it at at the start you know we've got all of this increased information coming out about sleep and what is interesting is if you do you know scan the literature as i do you you find that it's quite strange that some articles from a journal will get huge publicity and others don't. And and then you look behind it and, of course, you've got the university press office who are putting out really sexy press releases with headlines like (laughs) too much sleep can kill you. Um, And, and, you know, I, I often look at journals and think, well, that's a far more interesting article which would you know or, or you know paper which would be more benefit but obviously their university hasn't bothered and you need headlines i mean this is one of the things the whole thing about uh universities now that they are a business you need to get noticed the
0: impact factor Yep,
1: yeah, one of the the things you get noticed on is how much press you get on on your researches. so you know all of these press releases have you know sort of key phrases in nowadays just to make it attractive you know, the, the, the media lift these uh, press releases almost complete and just shove them in the paper. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, there's no critical thought. And, you know, you read a, a newspaper and one day they'll say, you know, sleeping nine hours is good for you. The next day you're saying it will kill you. And, and there's no responsibility.
0: Well, exactly. You know, I'll wake up on Monday and I'll read a headline. Oh, nine hours sleep can kill you. And then on Tuesday, I'll read an article and it will say, everyone needs nine hours sleep. And then on Wednesday, I'll read an article and it will say, you know, less than seven and a half hours sleep can kill you. You know, most people can't be bothered to go into the actual scientific report. They just read the headlines, you know, because that's the function of the media. But how, you know, I find it really frustrating. But there is a responsibility, I think, for the media to more critical thinking and to do this a bit better.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I agree the the, the the absolute uh you know advice is is really not helped by extreme uh, sensationalist headlines. <clears throat> That's not I mean, you know, all it's gonna do is confuse people or, or make them feel that there is an issue where there isn't an issue. And, you know, the the problem is as I say, press releases from universities are designed to get media attention. Journalists love them because they can just lift them and publish them without any critical thought at all. And in order to do that, you need to make them sexy. Um, and if you do that, then you'll get that media, which means you'll you know, be able to, say, talk about impact factor, your, 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 uh, th- these things, and get more research funding. It's a game that people play. But that it shouldn't be like. And, and, and as you say, nobody can go into these papers because... Ninety percent of all these papers are—you have to pay, and it's you know forty US dollars to read it for twenty-four hours. That—that's just—that's just denying people the ability, um, and therefore you do have to rely on the press release because um, you—you've got no way of questioning that, and—and and that I think is the problem with science. I know that journals exist, but many journals these days are are internet only so the days of having to print copies and ship copies have has 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 gone to just to download a pdf for 24 hours cannot cost 40 us dollars in anybody's money but that's just you know keeping
0: the keeping the information from from you know
1: the man in the street and i don't think
0: that's helpful totally and and i think if anything having this research in the public domain would encourage a lot more interesting research and multidisciplinary research. And as you say, it it's not there. And if there was uh, somebody who wasn't part of an, an institution and they just really wanted to investigate maybe two seemingly disparate topics about sleep and put them together, that they, they can't do it because they'd have to pay thousands of pounds for the have yeah. access to the databases
1: yeah absolutely and this this is this is the problem that if you are going to make public health messaging the the information that you use for that must be in the public domain you know if you if you 're doing something obscure that isn 't going to you know change the way people behave, then of course science has to be respected but if you 're going to use something like too much sleep can kill you, you have to make that the study that you 're basing that on free to view so people can judge what information you're giving them and the strength and the problem is we as a society just don't have that critical thinking because we're not allowed to because we're never given the information we're never trusted to make the decisions ourselves
0: yeah hopefully in our own small way neil that's that's what we're doing here with with these podcasts Okay, there was an interesting, I don't want to talk too much about th- this study because it's quite it's quite depressing, but there, there was an interesting thing about napping in there, and, um, and this is kind of counterintuitive because we kind of, you know, science of napping, like napping is generally a good thing, but they found that people who napped in that ideal sleep duration bracket between six to eight hours also were at a higher risk of mortality and cardiovascular problems, but the people who were below that and napped Weren't at a higher risk. I mean, that's that just sounds weird, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> it, it it does. And, and again, this is you know the problem with this is who are these people? That, yeah. as, as you mentioned earlier, if you if you've got a, a nine till five day job and you've got kids, you don't have time for napping. So if you do have time for ma- napping. What is it about you that gives you that time? And is that, whatever it may be, the risk factor that, that there is? Yeah. And, of course, if you sleep less than you need, getting more sleep through napping is, of course, going to be protective. So, you know, the the, the problem is there is this, this perception that big data is accurate data. You know, that if you have a million people, then the answer must be true. But it's not. Yeah. It's it's you know it's all about individuals. It is this important to me. Should I be getting more sleep or should I be getting less sleep? Not what the population average is. That's not useful to me.
0: Yeah, the, we're obsessed by big data, and I totally agree. Mm.
1: The funniest, the funniest one of these was very recently actually. A, a, one of these big studies that said that you need to have exactly seven to eight hours sleep, and it was a worldwide study. They claimed. Um, but th- one of the entry criteria was that it had to be done on a computer and you had to speak English. Right. Um, and, and so 90% of the people or 95% of the people came from America and the UK.
0: Yeah.
1: So these are people who have got a computer and who could be bothered to fill out a 20-minute survey.
0: Yeah, self-selecting. That's the
1: entry criteria, <laughs> self-selecting. And this is the problem. Um, you know, to get to get good randomized data on individuals, uh, and this is it. It's the individual that matters, not the whole population. Yeah. Because if you, if you go for a population average, you are just average and nobody is average. You know, 49.99% of people are above average and 49.99% of people are below average. There's nothing you can do about it.
0: I think it appeals to the general mindset that you see a figure and this sort of magic bullet. It's, it's hard to think about it yourself as an individual isn't it because we're 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 sort of social creatures and we want to think well i'm just like everybody else so i need you know (laughs) 8.27 hours sleep you know that's i want to know exactly what that number is and then i can measure it and then i know i'm okay but the truth is we're all different so these studies here too much sleep can kill you well what is too much sleep too much sleep for one person is not the same for another person absolutely um okay right. Well, the last one, try and end on a bit of good news. It's all been a bit doom and gloom and I don't, (laughs) (laughs) and um, I think most of this sleep research tends to come from this doom and gloom angle. And I'm very wary of it. And this is going to kill you or you need to do that, or this can give you this disease and sleep is a universal thing. And as you've said before, it's a, it's a joyful thing and it's, we should embrace it. And this, bit of research is a a nice little, especially coming up to Christmas, a nice little ray of hope. And it's to do with teenagers and adolescents and this whole start school later movement, which if anyone's unaware, it's been going on in the States for grassroots campaigns for over 20 years, trying to shift school start times later. Because in the UK, we're quite sensible, really. Our schools start about nine o'clock. But in the States just because of the way the school bus system works and all that. Sometimes the the schools start at seven o'clock in the morning, which is way, way too early for teenagers because teenagers need, you know, their body clocks are shifted. So they need to actually be starting later. So there's been this big movement to move um, school start times later. And so they they did a, a study in Seattle across schools who in Seattle, they actually did make this change um in 2017 so they had, they had an opportunity to monitor students before the change was made so when the school times were really early i think it was uh, at 7:50 in the morning and then they monitored them when they were going to school at that time and then they monitored them in 2017 a year later uh, when school times were 8:45 and surprise surprise they got more sleep it was on average 34 minutes more sleep they also found that attendance improved and also the median test scores went up as well so for people who've been campaigning in this area you know it's 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 a bit of good news it's like again it's like well told you so kind of moment you know we moved the school times and the kids you know the grades are getting up they're the attendance is improving, and they're getting more sleep.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, as you say, the, 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 this movement has been going on. I mean, the first studies came out in in actually nineteen seventy six wow. uh, on this idea of later school start time, uh, and you know the the information and the the evidence is compelling. And this is this is a, a perfect example of that. What what is absolutely scary though is that there are school boards in America that are actually either not moving or actually some there's a couple in texas last year that actually moved school start times earlier and and, and this is this is the unbelievable thing you know we, we've talked throughout this this podcast that you know we need you know good applicable evidence good applicable data to the man in the street and this is an ideal example of that and yet with you know this, this everything you know behavior attendance academic performance athletic performance uh Teachers, you know, uh, reports of behavior, adult reports of behavior. Everybody is happier, healthier, and doing better because if you put later school start times, but that is not convincing enough for some people. In the midterm elections uh, in California, there was a uh there was a referendum item on putting the school start times later which was passed by the populist but the governor refused to sign it it was so
0: close wasn't uh, it it was uh i was yeah. i was following it and I, I i'm not really that aware of the american um sort of voting system and i was i was like cheering yeah yeah they pushed it through they pushed it through and then then the governor vetoed it right at the last minute <laughs>
1: yeah and on on no on no earthly basis he didn't make a scientific argument about it he didn't make an economic argument as to why it couldn't happen he just refused to do it and and you know how you can be so blind in in the face of such compelling evidence and you know in a way even if even if the 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 effect was not as big as some of these studies say it's like why not try you know, what have you got to lose? There is no negative aspect to starting school later. You know, people, people always say, you know, why do schools start so early? Well, you know, half the time it's so the, bus, the school buses can get you there and back before the traffic jams. Well, that's not a good enough reason to screw your children's education up. The idea that teachers want to go home early seems to be prevalent, but I've never really met a teacher who was that motivated by an early afternoon. So there's no, there's no counter-argument. That's, that's the thing that gets me. You can't make an argument as to why you shouldn't put school start times later. And to be honest, you know, every school in the land could decide that after Christmas they could start an hour later. It wouldn't make any difference to anybody except for the children.
0: (laughs) Well, totally. It's all in the interest of the children doing this. And I interviewed Marco Hafner from RAND. He actually did a, his team did a, a big study on this. I mean, he did this famous study on the economics of sleep, but they also did one about the economic impact of shifting school start times later. And we talked about this, but his general view, very broad view, that it's purely purely financial and and the reason is the schools have one fleet of buses and so yeah. and so what they do is they the buses you know the bus drivers probably get up at four in the morning or whatever and then they, they go and do their first round to pick up the kids who live furthest away and sometimes this is like you know five twenty in the morning and they pick up the oldest kids first and so they pick up the oldest kids at, at half five in the morning drop them off at school and then circle back for the younger ones, you know, because they don't want to have the, the young kids at school at such an early time. But that's the worst thing you can do. It's the older kids that need the most sleep. So it's like them getting, you know, the equivalent of us getting up at three in the morning and you're picking these these kids up. And the only reason they're doing it is because they they just have one fleet of buses and and they want to, you know, save money by just having this bus doing a loop and a loop and a loop. And none of it is in the interest of the kids. This is all about saving money and Yeah,
1: and and this is it. What's the point of education if it's not to help children <laughs> you know it, it's 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 very simple you know if you if if you said to parents, "Look, you know for I don't know how much a school bus in America costs let uh, say a hundred thousand dollars. If you said to a school, most schools in the state." you know have a whip round to buy another bus uh, and that means your children's grades will improve by one you know one grade simply because they're going to school later i think some of them would would put their hand in the pocket i think if it, I mean, yeah. if it was put if, if it was put in that terms the reason we're screwing your children's education up is because we can't afford another bus i think people would buy buses not put up with it and i think this is this is the false economy that we've you know we want our children to do well and yet we are actively conspiring against them for no good earthly reason um and i just think that's crazy
0: logically it makes no sense so it it can only be some other interests financial interests or whatever that are saying no we don't want to do this because the kids get more sleep their health is better the grades increase their attendance goes up. And if you measure that over the long term, then that's more money coming into the economy because you've got better, qualified, healthier kids.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there is research that shows that, uh, you know, children who are sleepy will drop out of school uh, earlier and also it will actually affect their ability to become employed and to also, you know, they will earn less across a lifetime. And so, you know, it, it, it wouldn't take a genius to, you know, put the two figures together and compare the cost of, of, you know, bussing them in at a different time, compared to the the cost of, you know, to society overall. And I, I think, you know, that the upfront cost would be infinitesimally small in in comparison. But of course, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a it's an obvious, you know, pay now cost. Yeah. rather than a, yeah. a so- long-term societal thing. But that's what politicians are there for. Politicians aren't meant to be businessmen. They're not worried about the bottom line initially. They're worried about what's good for the citizen.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and they and, and say so the data is so, so conclusive. This is what I don't understand. You know, you, you can't argue with the data. So why
0: would you not go with it? Anyway, this is even though we're, you know, I'm having a bit of a rant and a bit of a moan about this. (laughs) This is actually a bit of great news because it's, as you say, it's it's evidence that just shows that when kids start school later, everything improves. And I think um, I want to, on a Christmas note, I want to leave with that bit of good news. I'm going to leave it at that, Neil. Um, Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks so much for your input. And let's do this. um, Let's kick this off again in in the new year because um, I'm sure there's going to be even more of a deluge of, uh, of of studies to talk about awesome well have a have a great holiday season neil
1: Same to you jeff thanks very much
0: and i'll speak to you in january take care bye
1: take care cheers
0: you've been listening to the sleep junkies podcast my name's jeff mann if you like the show don't forget to subscribe you can also catch us on social media on facebook twitter instagram and on the website sleepjunkies.com wishing you a great holiday season Merry Christmas, Happy New Year and we'll see you back in 2019